0: five I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter thirty three for our Old Testament scripture reading. This whole chapter is a really beautiful prayer. The special way in which the Lord defends and protects his own From the enemy, I just want to highlight a few verses, but I encourage you this week to go home and read uh, this whole chapter. And if you have time, the whole of Isaiah. Read the whole Bible this week while you're at it. It's, I encourage it. Isaiah chapter thirty-three, beginning in verse two. O Lord, be gracious to us. For we wait for you. Be our arm every morning. Our salvation in the time of trouble. Down to verse 5. The Lord is exalted. For he who dwells on high, he will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times. He will be abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Now down to verse 13. Hear you who are far off what I have done. You who are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? It is he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. Who despises the gain of oppressions. Who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. Who shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. And his water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king and his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighed the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord and majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams, where no galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can pass. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our King, and He will save us. Now turning with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. As we read once again, That model prayer that he has taught us to pray. And this morning we will give our attention to the fourth petition found in verse 11. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. So our Savior says to pray then in this manner Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's go before the Lord and ask that you would help us to understand how it is that we are to pray, as he beckons us to pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as your word speaks clearly to us, we pray that on account of our own finite minds, In our own sinful hearts, we need the illuminating work of your Spirit. And we pray that your Spirit would be at work through the ministry of the Word, that we might hear our Savior speak from heaven, uh, that we, through this Word, might know how to pray and how this fourth petition ought to shape our prayers and our very hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, before I came out here uh, to Oregon for four years, I pastored a church in the Midwest, and I think one of the things that struck me most uh, as I pastored there regarded the evening service. Uh, the evening service on Sundays was much like uh, the evening service we have here where we use a portion of the evening to uh, take time to pray uh, for uh, and, uh, the, the needs of the congregation and, and to use that time to collect Uh, those prayers in the midst of the worship service but one of the things that struck me most was um, the sheer number of times I would hear as the people in the congregation would raise their hands and ask prayers uh, regarding the weather it's not something that uh, you might be particularly used to if you grew up in the city or the suburbs uh, but I'd say at least half the members of that congregation grew up in farms, uh, somewhere in the Midwest, be it rural Iowa, rural Indiana or Illinois. Some had grown up in Kansas, and some would pray and say, "Hey, look, on the news this week there was um, uh, it's the record temperature highs in Kansas as they have been without rain for two or three months, and this is destroying the crops." Many who had family members who were farmers. And I think for those of us who live in kind of a drive-through society, we fail to recognize uh, how dangerous this might be. You know, if we were to lose power in the house and you, uh, your, your freezer lost power and all your meat was spoiled, well, you could still go back down to the grocery store and buy a new pack of meat. Uh, if the milk spoiled or if the vegetables Uh, went bad you could always just go back and get something more but what happens when your entire livelihood consists on the crops that are being grown it becomes much more dangerous as you recognize a particular season that is uh, inundated by flood or bereft of rain and there is much drought how are you going to survive the coming winter how are you going to survive the next harvest you know, I think as a nation, we've been blessed with such a bounty of food and, and this industrialized type of society. You know, If I'm hungry and it's 11 o'clock at night, I can just drive down to the local Taco Bell and have my fill. Not so with so many people around the world. And I think when we have so many rich material blessings, it becomes so easy to forget where this food comes from. More importantly, I think it's easy to forget from whom this food comes. This fourth petition reminds us of the very simple truth that all good gifts come from God. Food matters. And though we are called to seek first the kingdom of God, it does not mean that our material needs are insignificant in our Father's eyes, for He knows our frame. This is our fourth sermon in the Lord's Prayer. The first three petitions regarded uh, the, the concern uh, and the primacy of place that God's glory ought to have in our prayer lives. But that is not to say that we, there is no room in our prayers for our daily needs. These final three petitions regards man's own needs for food, for forgiveness, and even for Freedom. And deliverance. And this fourth petition, we are instructed to pray, provide us with what we need day to day for our daily substance, substance, sustenance. So there's actually four considerations I'd like us uh, to attend to today. Usually I say there's three. It doesn't mean the sermon's going to be longer, so don't worry. But there are four things I'd like us to consider as we just simply meditate on this very simple petition. First, I'd like us to consider what it means when Christ calls us to say and to pray, give. Secondly, I'd like us to consider what it means when we are called to pray, give us. The third thing is our bread. And then finally, I'd like us to consider the recurring nature of this prayer as we are called to pray for it daily. So give us our bread daily. Those are the four things. You know, if you make your way through Luke's gospel, there is a somber warning that our Savior gives as he warns of the dangers of greed. Jesus, in chapter 12 of Luke, he tells the story of a rich man who has had a very productive crop season. And as this rich man looks on all the uh, food that has grown that year, he begins to think to himself, saying to himself, look at all that my hands have wrought. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a bigger silo, a bigger barn to store all of my goods so that I will never have to worry about tomorrow ever again. I can take my ease. I have enough food to last me a lifetime. Now I can simply kick back and eat and drink and be merry the rest of my days. I think this parable has always struck me as odd, probably because it exposes how sinful my own heart is. Because we see in this parable, in God's fury, he strikes the man down that very night. And yet, I remember growing up thinking, what's wrong with this man's prayers? He seems very productive. Here's a man who has not squandered his goods. Here's a man who has not stolen. In fact, we might say he is ultimately wise. He is a man who is planning for the future. How is this wicked? And yet, Jesus points out the condition of the man's heart. It's not that the man had not planned for that the man had planned for the future that was the problem. It was as our savior says that he was not rich towards God. He considered food as all that he ever had to worry about to the neglect of his soul. The things of earth became everything that was on his horizon. Even for all his wisdom he saw the he failed to see the own folly of his heart. That he failed to look beyond the gifts to the one who gives these good gifts. This man, having seen the bountiful crop as his own doing, he had forgotten that man may plant, man may water, but only God gives the increase. Here's a man who had boasted in his own accomplishments as if they were not a gift, but something that was wrought by his own handiwork. And yet, over and over, we are reminded in the Bible, in that particular parable, no less than others, that everything that we have comes from God's gracious hand. There is not a thing that you own that is not a result of the Lord's mercy and grace to you. And I think it's something that we can come to church and say, oh yeah, the, the, the spiritual blessings, justification, adoption, sanctification, all these things are come that, come, things that come to us from God's gracious hand, yeah. But then we walk out of the church, and then we walk home, and we, and, and we pull into the driveway, and we look at our houses, and we go, oh, look what I have been able to afford with my own paycheck. We open up the fridge and go, oh, look at all the bacon I have brought home from a week of industry and hard work. Here in this petition, our Savior's reminding us that everything we have, every good gift, comes from our Father above. Not just faith, but also food. And the food that we eat is a gift to be treasured. As a gift, it's to be stewarded. To remember that such pleasures come ultimately from God's own hand and not our own. And yet when we look at the food, though of course we would say that salvation is a much greater gift, the focus here is on the fact that God still provides for our daily needs. Day after day after day after day. He remembers our feeble frame. In order to live, we need food, and so he gladly gives us all that we need. For life and for godliness, I think it's rather fascinating that we see the petitions ordered in the way that they are. You see, already we have been taught to pray for God's will to be done, and yet after we pray for God's will to be done, what's the very first thing we are called to pray to pray after that? Provide for us what we need today; those material needs. We are praying that He would put food on the table. I think this is so important. God loves the whole person, not just the spiritual component. Furthermore, we need to see that God has invited, Himself has invited us, even commanded us to pray for these things. We should not be ashamed to turn to the Lord when we are in dire straits. When we wake up and we say, how, how am I going to eat today? As we somehow are think we are praying something that is uh, only sub-spiritual. Not really worthy of God's attention. No, our Father in Heaven says, pray for these things. It is good to pray for these things. Not only is it good, it is commanded for us to pray for these things so that you might know that you have a loving Father in Heaven who because you ask, He will provide I need to think of Augur's prayer at the end of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30. This wise man of Israel prays this. He says, "...Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God." How easy is it for any of us to fall into either trap? To have so much materially that we forget that it is a gift. That we forget the giver of those gifts. But likewise, the other side of the ditch is equally true. How easy is it to have so little that we begin to abandon God's commands thinking that He will not provide for us? And so we begin resorting to things like theft, and so profane God's name. Hence the wisdom to Augur's prayer. Don't give me too much that I forget you, but don't leave me with too little that I resort to thievery and so profane your name. Here we are called to pray for daily food that we might recognize and know God as the great gift giver. He loves to give these good things the bountiful blessings both material and spiritual i encourage you to flip through uh, our hymnal at some point and and see the the number of hymns that are what we might call harvest hymns that thank the lord for his bountiful goodness for a rich harvest you know it, again in a mcdonald's drive-through world that might just sound like nice kind of sappy poetry but for christians in other parts of the world, or most everybody 250, 300 years ago, there was a real time for celebration and joy for the local community and uh, the local church that says, Look at the abundant harvest that has come this season. Let us thank the Lord for his many gifts, as this is truly a time to celebrate for the Lord's bountiful provision. The Lord loves to give blessings, both material and spiritual. Therefore, we are called to pray this, to give, not to pay up. We are not to say, give me what I have earned, give me my due. I remember once I, uh, I was going out to one of my favorite Mexican restaurants back home in Florida and eating with some friends from college and I had ordered some queso dip. My favorite cheese dip on the face of this earth is at this Mexican restaurant, it's a hole-in-the-wall joint in Jacksonville, and um, I, I ordered it. And I, as it comes to the table, my buddy Grant takes a chip and begins to dip the chip in my bowl of queso. And without even thinking, I look at him and go, "It's mine. I paid for it. What are you doing?" As if somehow I had procured the cheese dip with my own hands. As if somehow I had milked the cow and done whatever the cheese process. Uh, requires for this tasty queso. I think so many times we forget that the things that are laid out before us are in fact gifts. They're divine gifts. The fact that food is a gift, I think, is, serves itself as, we might say, an apologetic of sorts. From a scriptural vantage point, when the bitter atheist says there is no God, And this God, if He did exist, has failed to provide us with good things. We can simply reply and say, Well, have you tried Jones Oliver's pulled pork? Because food is proof of God's material provision. To the man who claims that God is some absentee landlord who has no concern for our care or happiness, we can, I think, truly respond and say, Have you ever had fried chicken? Because we need to recognize that the food that is laid out before us, delicious and bountiful as it is, is itself a gift from God. And it's intended to point and direct our eyes from the gift to the giver of those good gifts. It might sound snarky to say something like that, but I really think this is what the Bible is getting at. And if we fail to recognize that food itself and those material Needs that are met day by day by day by day, that they themselves point to a loving God who has given us a good and bountiful earth that is to be received with thankfulness and enjoyed. These are good gifts freely given at the hand of God, and they tell of his great love for mankind as he causes it to rain upon the just and unjust alike. Have you ever considered God's mercy? He does not simply provide food for the Christian. And His mercy provides these, He gives these common grace gifts to all. That the nations may eat and have their fill. He bestows these common gifts to all men to direct their attention to the one who is goodness itself. And the one who bears salvation in His hand as well. How different this prayer is and distinguishes Christianity from Eastern mysticism. Who think that true religion consists in ascetic practices and abstaining from these good gifts. On the contrary, we read in both Old Testament and New that all the earth's bounty belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. And he gives these good gifts to the children of men. And therefore, all that is good ought to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. To those who think that that God somehow loves them more because they look at the goodness of creation, say, no, I'm not going to partake in any of it ever, has missed the point. Certainly, there's a proper ordering to these things. Certainly, we not ought to love these gifts more than the giver. But it does not mean that God does not want us to enjoy these good gifts that He provides for His children day by day by day. If anything, this petition demonstrates that Christianity, though it is a sober religion, it is not a somber religion. Here is a a prayer that promotes joy. Think of our fellowship meals. To Look at this, this wonderful feast that is spread before us as we gather together on the Lord's Day, that this is a gift from God. That the friendship and those things that we share together are good gifts from the maker of heaven and earth. We ought not to feel bad about delighting in these things. Yet at the same time, this prayer tempers these desires from degrading into a crass materialism. Again, note the order of these petitions. Before we pray for food, of top priority concerns God's glory. Therefore, the gluttonous heart is kept at bay. It's not that we don't pray for food, but we also don't pray solely for food. Of chief importance is God's name, His kingdom, and His will. Our Savior Himself says this, as we'll see later on in this chapter. Seek first the kingdom of God. But then how does that verse follow up? And all these other things will be added to you. Those daily needs of food, shelter, clothing. The Gentiles might seek and run after them as if that's the only thing on the horizon. Here again, Christ is calling us to a heavenly mindedness that properly orders our affections aright. We do not live to eat, but we do eat to live. And our God has given us those means that we might live. Kevin DeYoung, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, a really nice little book, tells us that God calls us to pray that He would give us our daily bread, not our daily cake, reminding us. This is not a kind of name-it-claim-it crass materialism that the Lord would grant us a big mansion and a Lamborghini, but that He would provide for us what is needed. And yet in the midst of those needs and those necessities that are given, we would receive them with joy, whether they are given, you know, in a particular season we just have the bare minimum that's allotted to us, and in those seasons of plenty that our heart would not be distracted or led astray one way or the other, but to know that God has provided for us. And that we would learn contentment, rather, uh, that we learn contentment, whether in times of want or in times of bounty. This prayer teaches us to temper our appetites. Do not give me too much food that I would therefore forget God, and do not give me an insufficient amount, and so profane His name. If the first petition fosters that exultant adoration as we pray, Hallowed be thy name. If the second petition cultivates a joyous expectation of the coming consummation of the kingdom of God. If the third petition nurtures a willful submission to God's desire and rule for our lives. Then this fourth petition encourages a thankful recognition that every meal we have is a bountiful gift from the living and loving God. And yet it leads to our second point as we consider who is it that we are to pray for? Who is it that we should ask should receive such gifts? Isn't it fascinating that Jesus doesn't simply have us pray, Give me, but give us. You know, if the first three petitions reorder our affections uh, on the love of God here in this petition we are taught what it means to love our neighbor as well This is not a selfish prayer we are not simply play, we are not merely praying for me we are praying for we give us our bread that all who call upon God as father and turning to him that we would pray for the saints around the world. Here is a prayer that begins the process of the extirpation of selfishness. As our Savior calls us to consider even ourselves as instruments of His mercy. Why do I say that? I'm going to think of Israel in the wilderness. Forty years in the desert and not a single Mickey D's in sight. How are you going to eat? How are you going to drink? And though an entire nation, an entire redeemed people stands in the wilderness, the Lord doesn't say, well, just, you know, chew on some sand. But the Lord provides for them day in and day out, But in yet He provides for them miraculously, doesn't he? he? Tells Moses to speak to a rock and water gushes forth from it. Last I checked, water doesn't come from rocks. It's a miracle to wake up every day and find bread just sitting on the ground. The think of Israel's own response is almost humorous. How do they respond? They go, what is this? In Hebrew, manah? manna? Manna? <laughs> and so they named the bread, what is it? What are you having for dinner? I'm having what is it? What you want to call it? And yet, for 40 days and nights, the Lord provides. Yet, how does the Lord provide that daily bread for His people in the wilderness? Every, every morning, they're to wake up and they're immediately to gather. They get their tub of manna, their omer, they go out and they start collecting. And as they're collecting, by the end of the collection day, there are some people who don't have enough in their little jar the little tub for them to have them uh, for their particular rations, their daily allowance for the day. And yet some have collected too much. And so what are the people of God supposed to do? The people who have too much are supposed to say, okay, for the one who doesn't have enough here, I have some leftovers. Here you go so that you have enough. And those who do not have enough receive from those who who have had too much. And the next day, the, the very roles might be reversed. The point is the Lord has provided everything that's needed for the people as a whole, and yet the people become instruments of mercy as they collect and gather so that those who have been given, who has gathered a surplus are able to give to those that particular day, those who do not have enough. And we might say, oh, well, that sounds like a nice story. Some might even say, and I agree with it, that's a historical story truly happened. And yes, it did. And yet for Paul, it's not simply the historicity of the event that's important. It provides a framing device and, and, and uh, a teaching lesson for how the new covenant church ought to operate. See, in the mid-50s AD, there was a famine that had devastated Jerusalem that had left so many Christians in Jerusalem bereft and poor and hungry. And so as Paul is commissioned to plant new churches among the Gentiles, he is given a particular directive as part of his overarching charge. And part of that charge is to take up a collection only to remember the poor in Jerusalem. And so as Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he says, I'm making my way. You've been collecting this, these funds for about a year. I'm on my way to pick up the money so that we can transport it back to Jerusalem. And as he's encouraging them to give out the the bounty and gratitude of their own heart, he draws them back to that very story as a model for Christian giving and charity. See, when the church is called to care for the needs of the body of Christ, it's not just their spiritual needs that the church is to attend to, but their material needs as well. In fact, our Savior has instituted an entire office dedicated to this, hasn't he? The office of the diaconate, a ministry of mercy. To direct the attentions of those to remind them that God's love is not a, what we call a Gnostic love, as if he's only concerned about your spiritual estate, though he truly is concerned about your spiritual estate that he is concerned to care for you in terms of both body and soul. Here the fourth petition, therefore rebuffs against the inner Scrooge which has set up shop in the human heart. Here it teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves as we pray, give us our daily bread. We should look around us and think, is there anybody around us in need? And is the Lord using me? Is he calling me to be an instrument of mercy for those who are lacking when I have a surplus? And hence, we find our third point as we pray not only that the Lord would give to us collectively, the people of God, but we ask, what is it that we're asked to pray for? And of course, we're called to pray for bread. Now, when we speak of bread, Jesus is not simply talking about the fluffy stuff used to make sandwiches, this term is really a catch-all. technical term we might use, we might call it a synecdoche for all of our material needs and provisions. Consider what Psalm 132 says, where the Lord says, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. We're not simply supposed to say, Lord, give me some saltine crackers today. This prayer encapsulates a prayer for all of our material needs. You see that later on in this own chapter where our Savior promises a provision, not only of food for those who seek first the kingdom, but also a promise of provision of clothing and shelter as well. So this fourth petition, we can, we, we can maybe put it like this, Lord, give me what I need to make it through the day. I, my shoes have fallen off my feet, Lord, provide. And how does the Lord offer his provision? Well, there's directly and then there's indirectly. He he works through his ministers. He works through his servants. Again, highlighting the office of the diaconate. It's a way in which Christ uh, pours out his blessings on his people to make sure they have what is needed to make it through the day. Now, when we pray, give us our daily bread, will He provide us with you know, the best tri-tip steak, the designer clothes, or a royal mansion in terms of food, clothing, or shelter? Not necessarily. In fact, most of the time, I would probably say no. Again, in we're given a reminder that this is a prayer for our daily needs, not our daily wants. The fourth petition is not a... Uh, uh, An exhortation to pray for for a a new jet ski. This is a prayer for daily needs. A prayer for daily needs. And yet through this prayer we learn contentment with our lot, however the Lord provides. I think it's interesting, there are several commentators on this have brought to the foreground that this particular prayer also teaches us industry and justice. How interesting it is that the Lord tells us not to pray, "Give us somebody else's bread," but to give us our bread. Remember Paul's own command to the church: "The man who does not work does not eat." This is not uh, an encouragement to lazy living. Just thinking, "Well, I don't have to do anything; therefore, the Lord will just provide as I sit, you know, back and watch reruns of Happy Days." All right, we do not find in the fourth petition a kind of a prototype socialism. Here in the prayer, it does teach us something about real care for those in need, but it also teaches us that we pray that the Lord would provide for us uh, in accordance and and, 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 and those things that we, in our work, give us our our daily bread. I mean, what what a prayer for, for, let's say, farmers. Lord, I have planted, I have watered, I have tended to these crops. Please, I pray, let it bear fruit this season. Provide. finally, notice that this is not a prayer that we are called to pray once and never again. It is a daily prayer. That we might be reminded daily that every morsel that falls on the plate comes from the hand of our loving Father. I mean, I think we're in such a dangerous position here in the West. Because we look and go, why would I need to pray for the Lord to provide? Because there's so much around me. And doesn't that remind us of Agar's prayer? Lord, don't give me so much that I forget the Lord. I think we should pray this every day. And then as, uh, as we open up the fridge, we say, Lord, you have provided. As we're invited to somebody's home and they make us a meal, we say, Lord, thank you for this bountiful provision, for answering this prayer even before we even ask for it. So great is your love for us. May we not forget God and the bountiful feast that he's given Western civilization. How easy it is to think that we have acquired all this food by our own doing. Here is a prayer that cuts against the grain of our own independent hearts. I think many of us wish we were like the rich fool of Luke 12, who in a stroke of luck wins the lottery, puts all his money in the bank, and says, great, I never have to worry ever again. Yeah, how many of us would forget God before the day was out? if we happen to have won the lottery or received some type of financial bequeathment for a dead loved one. See, this petition is given to work faith in us day by day that we learn daily dependence on the one who cares for us in terms of both body and soul. And in this prayer, our eyes are to be directed not just to the gift, but to the giver of gifts as we turn our attention to the one who gives these good things and say, Lord, as I am hallowing Your name and seeking for Your will to be done, I ask that You would provide for me that I might continue to enjoy You. That I might live day by day. And in those days, until my dying breath, love You with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet, as we consider the significance of food and the pain of hunger, we are reminded what powerful metaphors these gifts and feelings teach us about our own spiritual estate. As we read the Gospels on at least two different occasions, Jesus was said to have fed thousands in the wilderness. And yet, we were told in those incidents, how many came out to hear Christ And how many came out simply to just get a free meal? Our Savior reminds us. These stories remind us that we come to serve one who is the source of every delight, not just our material needs. It's good to be reminded that He gives us those good gifts, but we never ought to lose that heavenly-minded focus as the people of God. That we should not be like the rich fool who thinks that the only thing on the horizon is the food that He has in the fridge. But those things are a means to an end. That we are given food that we might live, so that while we live, we might love the One who is Himself the bread of life. That we might seek counsel from the bread of life and find our thirst quenched as He gives us the Spirit who is that living water that He has promised to give. There is more that the human soul needs in order to live. Our Savior teaches us quite clearly that man, of course, lives by bread, but he cannot live by bread alone. That's why the church has to be more than simply some type of humanitarian relief organization. We cannot rest content with simply providing with people's material needs, but to point them to the one who has given who has made a way of salvation to deliver us from the wrath to come. And here we find the same hand that gives us our daily bread is the same God who gives us that spiritual food that gives us life everlasting. That as we turn to Christ, we are promised all who feast upon Him might live. That just as He gives freely that daily bread, so also He gives freely salvation that is found through life in His name. So let us turn to Him and acknowledge Him as the source of all that is good in both creation and in redemption. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the many good gifts You give. We pray that as we receive those material needs and provisions, that You would bless us with all that we need, and yet that in those material blessings, we would not forget You, and so become earthly-minded, but rather you would attune our hearts to see the even better, more bountiful provision that is found in those spiritual blessings that are found through Christ in the heavenlies. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.